Stand beside me. Have the days of darkness made you see the light, Ramses? Will you now free my people? Great one, bid the scribe read the order. Give me the writing. Sublime Pharaoh, you cannot resist the power of his god. I know not his god. Neither will I let his people go. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before God? If you bring another plague upon us, it is not your God but I who will turn the Nile red with blood. As your father's father turned the streets of Goshen red with the blood of our male children, if there is one more plague on Egypt, it is by your word that God will bring it. And there shall be so great a cry throughout the land that you will surely let the people go. Come to me no more, Moses. For on the day you see my face again, you will surely die. So let it be written. So when we think of ancient Egypt, that's kind of what we think about. I like Charlton Heston and Yul Brenner more than the average person. But that whole version of the Ten Commandments was a trifle inaccurate, if not wonderfully done. When I was teaching middle school Bible, I would have my students watch this at the end of our semester just to see if they could pick out the inaccuracies in the movie, and I just liked watching the movie for sure. But as we go through this, the history teacher in me was getting lost in the archaeology and the, and the history and the research and looking through there to see that According to the best of the research, I could find that Ramses wasn't actually the name of the Exodus pharaoh, that it was most likely Amenhotep II, which means there had to be an Amenhotep I, and why would they do that two or three times after that? I don't know. Another one had to do with the people who were in charge during the time of Moses and of Joseph. And if you go through ancient history, and I think even those of you who perhaps didn't enjoy history in school, the Egyptian history just seemed like it was always better. And there were all of these different dynasties and ages and this and that and the other thing. And and there were two very distinct portions of time from Joseph and Moses. And one was a group of people called the Hyksos who had come from kind of the area where where Joseph's people had come from. And so for years they thought that those were the people who were in charge of Egypt at the time of Joseph, and that's why he got that special treatment and the people came, and that was all terrific. And that when they were overthrown by the native Egyptians, that that was the pharaoh that didn't know Joseph and his people and put them all in slavery. But then through the research, it was looking that it was actually flipped around, and they had all this. And I was getting lost in this and forgetting that was not my point, and forgetting that most of you, our eyes are probably glazing over if I could see them. Thinking, I didn't enjoy history the first time around. Why is she doing this again? So for those of you who think that, I apologize. And those of you who are interested in it, it was just really fascinating. But I, that part of Egypt, as, as wonderful as that is and as wonderful as that movie is, 
We, we're going to backtrack a couple hundred years in our story. That's not the part of ancient Egypt that we're going to talk about. One of the greatest things I think about studying Egypt is that Egypt already had an ancient history by the time of Joseph. Thousands and thousands of years of recorded history. Just amazing. But we're going to backtrack a couple hundred years. And if you do have your Bibles, if you would open to Genesis chapter 41... And we're going to go to the biblical account of when Joseph first encounters his pharaoh. And his pharaoh's name was Sesostris II. Again, leading to the belief that somebody was Sesostris I and thought that was a good idea to do twice. But in chapter 41 of Genesis, if you would indulge me, I am going to read the whole story. Because that whole story is really the basis of what we're going to talk about today, which is the stewardship of community. The pastors have been talking about stewardship over the last few weeks, and it's my privilege today to talk about the idea of community. So Genesis chapter 41, beginning in verse 17, it says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dream I was standing on the bank of the Nile, when out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I'd never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. And then I woke up. In my dream, I saw seven heads of grain, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads sprouted withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterwards are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. These are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land." The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man. Put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is none so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace. And all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. 
So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Not bad for a guy who started out the morning in a prison cell after more than a decade. That's how Joseph's day started. And it ended in in a chariot with signet rings. One of the really cool things, again, about this story and, and about doing some research is they've actually found some of the signet rings that belong to Joseph. They've They've somehow, in all the ways that I would truly be boring you with if I repeated, but all of these ways that they have figured out that Joseph's actual signet rings, they found them along with these areas in the northern part of the country where they were vestiges of silos that would have been those cities of food. Just these amazing things, and we don't work, we don't count on the world to prove the Bible because we believe the Bible is the word of God and it is truth and it is from God and it is unerring. But when the world finds those things and corroborates with it, it's just a neat thing to know that God's going, see, no, it was there. And to find those rings there that, and those would have been the rings that the Pharaoh had given him. And so I know many of you knew that story, but I'm not I don't think that you all grew up in Sunday school, and so that might have been a new story for you in its entirety to see from beginning to end that Joseph, again, he stepped out of the prison and into the palace, which actually is kind of the the title of our VBS for the week, but he went right to work. He, He, his mind, like you think about it, you know, a couple hours earlier, he's worrying about the rats on the ground in the prison, and the next minute he's standing in front of the ruler of the universe, pretty much at that point, civilization's highest, um, you know, the, the most advanced civilization in that part of the world, and, and having this conversation about saving Egypt. And these things just came to him right away, and taking 20% of the people's food over the next seven years to save them. Joseph's immediate reaction was compassion on the people of his land and to figure out how to feed them so they didn't starve to death. The next few verses, if you continue that story in Genesis, the next few verses talk about how Joseph goes right out and starts doing what Pharaoh wanted him to do. He didn't wait. He didn't debate about it. He just got started. He had just come from years in prison. That bath that they gave him, because it talks about it. If you read the verse before it, it talks about them cleaning him up because Pharaoh didn't want him stinky in front of him. The Egyptians were very clean people. That might have been his first bath in a decade. And they, they clean him up. They put him in front of Pharaoh. He could have been so self-righteous and so sorry for himself or feeling like he deserved to take a break after all of those years of laying on heavens only knows what in the prison, that he doesn't want to get right to work. He wants to go lay down and have one of his new servants fan him. Nothing. But he had that stewardship of community, and he got right to work. And one of the things that I love about this is this was actually not Joseph's community. These were people who had put him 
in slavery and then put him in prison. This was not his land of Canaan where he came from with his family, but this was the community where God put him. And he got right to work in that community where God put him. And I do want to encourage you with that this morning. There are some of you who may be still transitioning from a different church community, from a different location, from a different country. You might not quite feel like this is your community yet. And I think sometimes when I was new to Glad Tidings as well, it was like, what, what should I do? What should I get involved in? Is, is everybody's all set? Maybe I'm not needed here or this isn't my place yet. But if God's put you at Glad Tidings, then this is your community. And this is where he wants you to serve. And this is where he's made a place for you. Even though the Apostle Paul would not pen his list in the book of Romans of the motivational gifts for another hundred, couple hundred years, I know that we could look back and see that Joseph definitely had some of these gifts that the Apostle Paul was talking about. If you turn in your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12, I'm going to read a couple verses that were... uh, that are very familiar to you. And there's a few different um, lists in the New Testament of different gifts. And um, my friend Brittany is here. We both just finished taking a test not that long ago, and they separated all these three different sets of gifts from the New Testament, and you had to match them all up with their themes and different things. So that's why I know the right title at the moment, the motivational gifts. But in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8, it says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. We don't have to search very hard to find places in the Bible where God showed compassion, this compassion that came naturally to Joseph for his new people. God showed that compassion on the people of Israel over and over and over again in the Old Testament when he would relent from punishments because they had been so wicked and they would repent and then he would give them another opportunity. He would have compassion on them. Jesus, as you read through the Gospels, so much compassion on the, on the people. It didn't matter if he was tired. It didn't matter if he was hungry. It didn't matter if he didn't have the time for them. If someone tugged on his garment, if someone came to him with a need, Jesus had that compassion. From the very beginning of the Bible, when Cain asked his brother, Cain was asked by God, am I my brother's keeper? And that sibling story didn't end well. Joseph's sibling story ended a lot better than that. But there is this understanding that we are our brother's keeper. And beginning in this community that God's placed us in, in glad tidings, and then further out into the world. I believe that it is an expectation of God's that we are our brother's keeper, our sister's keeper. That we love our neighbor as ourselves. It is not just a catchy phrase that we've plastered on the side of the church van. 
It is not just a handy motto to pull out and put at the bottom of letterhead here. If you remember, one of the first things Pastor Selwyn did when he took over as the head pastor here is we did that free car wash outside in the parking lot just for the community, just to say we're here and we care about you. And that's what we're doing again next Saturday as one of the opportunities of ministry throughout the summer that you're going to have. And I invite you to take advantage of these because the benefit of these is not just to the community at large, but is the community within. There is nothing like getting to know somebody when you're both soaking wet with great big soapy sponges next to each other. There is nothing like getting to know the person next to you in the pew when you are at a food bank packing bags. There is nothing like getting to know someone when you're both covered in glitter and glue doing a VBS craft. It builds the community here and it builds the community outside. Sometimes we have to do that at the risk of our own time and our own money and our own inconvenience. But Jesus said, love our neighbor as ourselves." So Joseph had that compassion, but he also had this amazing character within himself. All he had been through for decades had not crushed him. It could have. He hadn't seen his father in years. For all he knew, Jacob could be dead. Now you think about it, Joseph wasn't just anybody. Joseph is the great-grandson of Abraham, the Abraham, the patriarch Abraham, the Abraham that every religion on the planet recognizes Abraham. He had a lineage. He was somebody until he was thrown in the bottom of that pit. Then he was a nobody. Then he was somebody's slave. Then he was somebody's servant. Then he was somebody's prisoner. It happened to Abraham's great-grandson. He could have been so bitter. He didn't do anything to deserve all of those things. Being an obnoxious teenager and showing off in front of your brothers and being your father's favorite might not be the healthiest thing for a family life, but it certainly didn't deserve what happened to him. Being the 11th out of 12 sons was a lousy place in anybody's birth order. All of these things could have made him bitter, could have made him uncaring of what happened. But instead, it built his character. You know how he had gotten there. His brothers threw him in a pit, wanted to kill him, sold him as slaves, all of those things. The last voices of his family that he heard as he's being dragged away by the Midianites is his brothers thinking, well, should we have killed him? No, we got some money out of this. No, we'll just go kill an animal, dip his lip. And this is fading in the distance as, as Joseph is taken away. There's no reason to think Joseph could speak Egyptian. There's no telling how many years it was before he learned the language. And when he gets to Potiphar's house, and really he gets a good deal in the beginning, he's in this high official's house, and this official notices right away that he's got some amazing skills. Now, there's no telling whether Joseph actually knew he had those skills already. Again, 11th out of 12 sons, he, didn't, he wasn't very high on the family food chain. Everybody was older than him but one. Everybody had the jobs. 
in any other place, had he not been Jacob's favorite, he would have been a footnote in, in a page somewhere. So it's entirely likely that until he gets to Potiphar's house, he didn't even know he had these gifts. And then he runs Potiphar's house. He's the second only to Potiphar until his wife chases him around, and you know how that story goes, and he ends up in prison. But then if you read that part of the story, the prison warden, hey, this guy knows what he's doing, turns over the whole prison to Joseph. Not as nice as Potiphar's house, I'm sure, but still, every time he got in this place, he rose up to the top again. That character, God would not have kept putting him in those places and molding him and making him if he was there with a bad attitude. I'm sure he wasn't enjoying himself. But he let God mold him every time. And so that character is being grown. Just the same way that Moses needed those 40 years in the wilderness before he came back and before the plagues, when he was tending the sheep. And God had that time to build up his character in patience and leadership and all the skills that he needed to go back and lead the people out of Egypt. This is God building up Joseph to bring his people into Egypt. What is God doing in you right now that you don't like, that is uncomfortable, that's building character for you where you just wish, okay, can this lesson be over now? I think we think that sometimes. And we think, I would like this lesson to be over. And sometimes you pray. Sometimes maybe it's just me that prays. Okay, God, whatever this lesson is, can I learn it, please? We can move on to the next lesson. But God wants to use all of those things. He would not have been given, Joseph would not have been put in that position as the second only to Pharaoh if he had not been faithful and kept his good character. Never assume that the big or the small, the awful, the insignificant, the difficult things in your life don't have any purpose when you're going to serve God. Whether those things happen to you because of your own choices, or because, again, they just happen to you. If you look in Romans 8.28, it says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It doesn't say we know that, it doesn't say that he works together for the good of those who love him, only if the stuff that happened to you was completely out of your control. No, it doesn't say that. At least it doesn't say that in my Bible. So whatever has happened in your life, God can use that to make your character and to get you ready for that next step. So Joseph had compassion on the people in his community. And Joseph had this amazing character that came out. And and I'm sure just oozed into the people around him. Because as, as smart or as administratively talented as he was, he still needed that help. And so there were commissioners around him, and they were people to help him administrate and orchestrate. And those things from him flowed into others. And I want to remind you as we go into this last point about how the stewardship of community is a collective responsibility. It is not just the responsibility of a pastor, of one of the deacons, of the department heads here. It is a collective responsibility. And if this is not your church home, in your own church home, this is the same thing. That we've been here as a church for almost 100 years. 
God has blessed glad tidings over the decades in different ways and in different time periods and with different groups of people. And we truly believe that God has a new place for us. And whether it's that that property in Rockland or if it's a different property, that God has some place to move glad tidings. Not Not to pat ourselves on the back and say, hey, we've done a good job, so now you get a bigger building. Because God has bigger things he wants to do with us. Glad tidings. But as we think about that, as we think about growing bigger and having more and more outreach opportunities, we can't do that on on the staff, not the the paid staff, but on the, the, the people who volunteer right now. We need more. We're going to need everyone's help. Everyone in the building will need to be part of that collective stewardship. Because as we grow, we need more help. If you are here, know that you do not, there, there's no set amount of time after your first six months of being here and, and taking the, that leadership 101, which, by the way, this is perfect timing for that. Take that class next week. It doesn't obligate you to anything, but you'll hear from the hearts of the pastors the vision of the church and the way that God has led us so far. But if we're going to grow, we need more help. We need more help from everyone. I was listening, I was talking with somebody the other day, and and she had gone to a local church that is experiencing some some shrinking. And and she said, well, you know, it's kind of down to about 1,000 people. And I'm thinking, oh, well, our 12 parking spaces certainly wouldn't work for that. We'd have to have five services a day. It's all in your perspective. But you think, what would a 1,000 people, if we have 100 kids, babies through teens out of 300, and you multiply that out, I, I don't have room for 100, 150 kids downstairs in the crash kids' room. And we don't have the population for it here. And believing that God has that for us, Again, not for our own benefit, but because there's a community that needs to be reached. But we have to be strengthened here in our community first. The one thing that I realized was Joseph took care of his community first. He focused on his community, his country, his collection of people first. It's just like when you go on a plane and they do their whole spiel about put your seatbelt on and do this and do that. And then they, they show you the oxygen mask and they say if the cabin loses air pressure and the thing drops down, put your mask on first and then you can help somebody else. And that really is what we're talking about because glad tidings is not meant to be the church of God in general is not meant to be a little club that you need a secret handshake and a special password to get in. Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost, and his last words to us on earth is, go and tell them. But we have to be strong here. The healthier we are, the healthier we can go out into the community. By ensuring that Egypt was strong and cared for during the lean years, Joseph made sure that Egypt could also help the rest of the world, including his own people. Where in God's collective of Glad Tidings Church do you see yourself? What have you done recently to ensure that the infrastructure of the church or a program or a person was strengthened due to your stewardship? What does stewardship of community even look like at Glad Tidings? 
It could look like being a part of a small group. That's an easy one. We're just finishing up our, our spring small groups. We enjoyed many years having a small group at our house and having dinner first and having really a mixture of more mature Christians and some new families at the church, and it was a wonderful mix together of the church community. Stewardship of community might look like volunteering in different areas within the church where there's a need, and there's lots of needs here. It might look like holding up in prayer those in leadership, and I know that you do that. I know that this is a praying church. Praying for what is on that bulletin is the, is the pulse of the church. Praying for the country, praying for the government, the leaders of the church, where God wants us to go. The particular needs of your fellow parishioners here. Maybe being part of that collective is taking part in some of the local missions opportunities that we have going on, both this summer and into the fall. We have a Haiti trip going on in November. I'll be taking some, a, another van full of people to Baltimore to the Operation Christmas Child after Thanksgiving this year. There's some opportunities. Maybe that's part of your stewardship collective. Maybe it's taking meals to those who could use it or helping people who can't get out or running errands for those. I wouldn't have said this in first service because I wouldn't want to embarrass them, but Sharon and Dave LeBeau are such phenomenal examples of people who steward their church and their community here and how they put themselves out for others and and one lady in particular and just an example and to remind you that someone is always looking at you you are an example to someone else the way you are living out this christian life is being seen by others stewardship can of the community can be messy it can be inconvenient sometimes the people you're helping don't want to be helped or sometimes they don't appreciate you or sometimes it takes money and time that you didn't have Joseph extended the compassion and his gifts to that immediate circle of, of people, those Egyptians. And we need to do the same thing here with each other at Glad Tidings. By extending our gifts to those immediately around him, he was able to save the world in a very real way. Because it wasn't just Egypt that ran out of food. It was all the surrounding areas to the point where his family in the land of Canaan heard There is food in Egypt. Joseph didn't know that by stepping right in and having compassion on Egypt, he was was saving his own family from starvation. He didn't even know his family still existed. He didn't know if his father was alive. He had no idea that being obedient at that moment was going to have very personal ramifications later on. And we need to think about that as well. The things that we do within the walls of this church and within this body of Christ have very real consequences outside for our families, for our neighbors, and for the place that God wants to take the church. One of the definitions of stewardship, the responsible overseeing and protection of something considered worth caring for and preserving Individually, whether financial resources, real property, other valuable items, time, influence, or opportunity, the believer, that's us, is to seek the mind and the will of God for every decision. Joseph's community was in trouble. In his case, his community was the prize of the ancient world, 
the breadbasket of the region. If Egypt went down, everybody went down. By building up one another here at Glad Tidings, building up relationships, shoring up the programs that desperately need help, when and where you can give it, tithing the way God has instructed us to do, making yourselves available to others within the church body. God will use us as a church body to continue to reach Quincy and the surrounding areas. With a strong Egypt, God used Joseph to save the world. With a strong glad tidings, don't you want to see what God can do? I do. I'm so excited for what he wants in that next building. But there are still things that are going on here. And I think that has been... That has been the thing to be careful of, is not to live in that future world, to stop doing things now because we only have that that future in mind. And one of those things is is Vacation Bible School. And I will tell you that the last time we did it was at least three years ago. It might have been longer. And um, we haven't done it because of all the reasons that we don't do a lot of things around here. We don't have enough room. We don't have enough this, we don't have enough that, all the things we don't have enough of. The fact that, and and all those reasons that we didn't do it, nothing's changed. If it rains, we're in big trouble (laughs) because we need the whole parking lot as a separate area for an entire portion of Vacation Bible School. If every one of our kids that are downstairs in in Crash Kids right now brought a friend, I don't know where they're going to fit. I don't know, all of those things. So I just kept thinking, all right, God, what a great thing. We'll get the new building, and that'll be our first thing that we do. And I knew that wasn't right, and I knew. I I didn't move on vacation Bible school the way that Joseph moved immediately on that need in Egypt. And it's very convicting. And last fall, I was at um, the girls' ministry celebration for one of my reps. She's the pastor's wife in, in Rhode Island. And their church isn't any bigger than ours. The structure might be a little bit different shape, but it's it's this little church. And they had this celebration. She's sitting there telling me, all these families that are getting their awards in girls' ministry and Royal Rangers, they all came from VBS. Those aren't church families. And I'm sitting there like this. And she knows that I haven't been, she's elbowing me and she's saying this on purpose. But it wasn't really Carolyn saying this to me. This was God talking to me. And then, and, then, and then, of course, it's the fall, and you don't do vacation Bible school in the fall, so I let it go. And, and I'm just thinking, oh, it would be great. We'll get the new building. We'll do that. So come April, we have a children's ministry conference, and I go, and there's some of you in here that was, were with me at the time, and, and there's already this little buzz, a couple people talking, why don't we do it? Are we going to do it? would be nice to do it. And there's material everywhere, and we sit down, and the guy starts speaking, and it, you know, you have those moments where God's like, right there, talking to you. There might be 300 people in the room, but I am talking to you. And he was talking about just doing it and being the one, and I don't know, I don't know. Just all I know is I, I'm supposed to do VBS. That is what I got out of it. <laughs> he said all sorts of other important things, but that was my message. And, um, and he's talking about the little boy and his lunch. And, and it was the best analogy for me. Is this little boy only had his lunch. And she, all right, you can have it. A couple thousand people sitting here. I don't know what you're going to do with my lunchbox. 
And Jesus didn't need him to figure it out. He just needed to give it. So God didn't need us to figure it out. God didn't need me to figure it out. He just needed us to do it. So that was my final push over the edge. And then I had to go back and convince Pastor Selwyn that, yes, we really should do vacation Bible school. And I didn't know how many people were going to come out to the vacation Bible school volunteer meeting. I still have no idea what the weather's going to be like. We're going to do a lot more promoting with flyers in the neighborhood than we did before because I was too afraid to do that when we did this a few years ago. And so we decided we're not praying for anything but the children who need to come to know Jesus to walk in those doors from July 11th through the 15th. And we have strategically planned that last Friday to be a family picnic night and then to have them come up here with their families, see their pictures from the week, and share the love of Jesus with them. And so as you continue to go through the weeks, I would ask you to pray for us over those next two weeks. So in those two short weeks, we'll be doing it for the first time. And we'll be asking for people to help put up flyers and stick them on cars in the neighborhood and to come paint and glue and create some sets and help me make a mess and clean it out. Some people to make some food to feed the volunteers because there's there's at least 35 of you right now that said, yes, I will come right from work every day for five days and come right here and serve. And so we got to feed you dinner. We'll be asking you to pray for the unsaved children and their families so that they can come to know Jesus. Because why else are we here? Why else has God blessed glad tidings for a hundred years? We have to tell them. They need to know they're our community. And we've done a good job here at Glad Tidings stewarding our own community and stewarding our little ones downstairs. If you could have seen Mary Ocampo showed up at the last girls' ministry Royal Ranger event night, it looked like half her neighborhood piled out of her car because Gigi just invited everybody. That's what our kids are doing. So if you will keep praying with me for that as well. As we close today, it is really easy to have this type of message be guilt-driven, and I don't want it to be at all. Joseph was not guilt-driven. He did nothing that he did out of guilt. There is no, there is no sign there that he hesitated at all. He was simply following God's plan for his life. What is God's plan for your life? Do you know what you're supposed to be when you grow up? You go along 10, 15, 20 years, you think you're all set. You knew what you were supposed to do. Then God goes, nope, shoves you over, and now you're in totally different territory. Maybe you figure it out right away, maybe you don't. One of my favorite parts of the Joseph story is that verse that says he went right out and started the job for Pharaoh when he knew what his job was. It didn't say, by the way, that he went and prayed about it. Didn't say he went and put it on Facebook and got everybody's opinion. Didn't say he griped at God for giving him so much work to do right after he got out of prison. Come on, God, give me a break. A month, two months, can I take a break? Can I go buy some clean clothes? Nothing. He just went and did it. 
And if you're sitting here today and you want to do something for God and you're not sure what it is, say yes to the next thing that's put in front of you here. Just say yes to it. What's the worst that can happen? You feel a need for a while while you figure out what God really has meant you for? And the best thing that could happen is you make some friends working in that ministry and you find out what you're good at. You might be sitting here knowing that God has told you you're supposed to be doing something. And you're hemming and hawing and praying about it and thinking about it and dragging your feet. Stop. Just do it. Make it your goal this week to seek the mind of God on his will for your part of this stewardship piece because it is a blessing and a privilege to be part of the family of God. And the stronger the family of God is at Glad Tidings Church, the stronger and the more powerful we can bring that message to the community around us. Would you stand with me today, please, as we close in prayer? And I'd like to make the prayer team and any of our deacons available to you for prayer this, this afternoon. And it doesn't have to be on these topics at all. But sometimes it really does help to come and to pray with someone and to have someone else hold your hand and say, I will pray with you. Sometimes speaking the words out loud, do you, do you find that sometimes? That things that are all jumbled in your mind, when you say it out loud, you don't even necessarily always need somebody to answer you just to say it to someone. Maybe you need to say those words out loud to someone to pray with you today for you to realize, yeah, I I really do know what God wants me to do. And if you don't, let him surprise you. There are so many places within the body of Christ that need you, but you need it worse than the programs need you. Hallelujah. We praise you, Lord. I thank you that your word says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I thank you that your word says that you have a plan for us and it's a good plan. I thank you that your word says that you have good works set aside from before time began just for us. I thank you that your word says we are part of the body of Christ. We're not all the head, we're not all the foot, that you have us all working together in all these beautiful, messy, moving parts. And so, Lord, these messy, moving parts come to you this morning, this afternoon, and just say, use us collectively. Use us as we steward this community that you've put us in right here, right now. Some of these folks have been at Glad Tidings for decades. Some of them are brand new. There might even be folks who don't even know if they're supposed to stay here or not right now. But Lord, we pray that you will help us to be good stewards wherever you have placed us. And right now that place is Glad Tidings. So speak to people today, Lord, people who have been wrestling. Lord, if there are those in this room who they know, like I knew, that they're supposed to do something and they're fussing about it and squirming around about it and not sure. Lord, I pray that you will gently and lovingly put your finger on their forehead right now and say, yes, I did tell you to do that. 
And Lord, if there are willing hearts and minds here today that just need some encouragement as to where to go and what to do, Lord, I, I just pray you provide that. And I thank you. There are people who have served faithfully for years and years and years at Glad Tidings that are amazing characters that show amazing character of you to look up to and and to say, I want to be like that when I grow up. Lord, let us take this gift of you and this gift of community that we have at Glad Tidings and take it to the world. And I do pray, Lord, for the community around us that the children will come and they will hear the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray ahead of time for George, who is going to be playing Joseph and bringing the main message, and for Tim Kamani, who is going to be playing the guard. And and between the two of them, they will be bringing the stories out every night that you will bless them as well. And for the teachers that are going to lead these little families around and help reinforce the messages. And for the people who are going to be shopkeepers and work in the, in the marketplace and do crafts and feed snacks and interact with the children. And for the people who are going to lead games outside, Lord, and for the worship. We just give that all to you, saying that's just kind of a byproduct because this is your idea. And we thank you for it. Lord, bless these folks as they come to be prayed for, as they pray quietly in their seats, Lord, as they go home to their families. I pray that you will just overflow onto them your abundant blessings. In Jesus' name.